0: listening to the official podcast of Oasis Community Church where everybody's welcome, nobody's perfect, and anything's possible. If you'd like to learn more about Oasis, request prayer or get in touch with a pastor, visit our website at oasischurch.org. Enjoy the podcast. Hey everybody. It's going to be back with you and uh, this is the last Sunday of our summer series. Look who's talking? And I've really enjoyed it. I've enjoyed kind of going through these stories and these parables and kind of taking a look at them again and and seeing um, what it would be like if we focused on a different character in the story or if we intentionally tried to hear another voice. Uh, We've actually decided to um, kind of put a bow on this series with a sermon titled, Look Who's Not Talking. (laughs) And uh, when I thought about that, I thought about this story and I thought it would be a good one to share. So Elijah is a fabulous character out of the Old Testament, uh, a mighty kind of prophet. And he's kind of seen as this kind of seminal figure, uh, he and Moses. Like um, there's this expectation that Elijah will return. and, And when we get to the New Testament, there's this sense in which John the Baptist is the new Elijah, in fact, even in Jewish tr- traditions today, like at the Seder meal, the tradition is to leave an empty seat just in case Elijah would show up. And I often bring that up anytime there's like one extra seat at the table and someone goes to sit down. I'm like, wait a minute, that's for Elijah. <laughs> that's kind of rude a little bit, but it's kind of funny too. And so he's kind of, he's kind of known. And like when Jesus was transfigured, you know this gospel story? Jesus kind of turns into a figure of light and Peter, James, and John are there to see him. And and the two that bear witness to him are Moses and Elijah. But I think we often get the Elijah story wrong. That is, we don't read far enough in the story, we kind of stop too soon, or we celebrate the wrong bits of the story. So there's a pretty famous story about Elijah that took place on Mount Carmel. It was like a, a worship competition. Like, that's an interesting thought, isn't it? A worship competition? Like, who's going to win the worship competition? <laughs> and so you had Elijah, and he was going to worship Yahweh, and you had the prophets of Baal, and they were going to worship Baal. And, uh, and so you, I think you might already know this story, but there on Mount Carmel, the uh, prophets of Baal build an altar, and, and they put a lot of fire on it, or, and you know, they try their best to, to burn a sacrifice, but they can't. They can't get things going. And it's, of like, it's like to no avail. And Elijah is a real smack talker. Like, like we're getting ready to go into our kind of church uh, softball uh, league. Right? We're going to do that. And I don't know if any of you who signed up are smack talkers. I might have to ask you to tone that down a little bit. It is a city league. But we are a church right? And we also are getting ready to start, about the same time, our fantasy football, right? And once again, there's probably some room for smack talking. I'm not looking at anybody, and I'm not going to name any names, uh, Ray and Sam Keel. Um, <laughs> but but I, am, I am saying that you know sometimes you might want to chill a little bit on that. Elijah did not get that message, right? He's like, Hey, uh, prophets of Baal, maybe the reason you can't get your fire started is because your God's asleep. Maybe he got tired. Maybe he had to take a nap. And forgive me, this is really what it says. I'm not, I'm not kidding. At one point, he's like, maybe he had to go to the bathroom. That's why you can't get yours started. He's a real, real tough guy, Elijah. And so Elijah then, of course, he douses his altar with water. He digs a ditch and pours water in it to make it seem like it's impossible to actually start a fire. And then he prays, and fire comes from heaven. It consumes the sacrifice. It consumes the water. And, and he then takes a sword and kills 300 prophets of Baal. Ah. <sighs> and we kind of stop there, and we think, Wow, I guess in the, in the worship competition... Uh, Elijah won, right? And the prophets of Baal lost. But if we keep reading, we realize that Elijah doesn't seem like much of a winner because he is scared to death, right? He, he takes off running because he's afraid that Jezebel, the queen, is going gonna, is gonna to get him. And so he runs and he hides in the wilderness. And the Lord provides for him some food and drink. And he's like, I can't make it. I'm not going to make it. And the Lord encourages him. And then he goes on this long journey that the Lord sustains him on. And that's where our story picks up. So he's back at Mount Horeb, right? The mountain where Moses had received the Ten Commandments. The mountain where Moses, the other great prophet, had seen the burning bush. And he's there and he's expecting to see God. And there's an earthquake But it says that God is not in the earthquake. And there's a whirlwind, a tornado. And it says God is not in the tornado. And then it says there's a fire. And it says God is not in the fire. Like, we didn't read this story a lot when I was a kid. Now, you all know I grew up as an Appalachian Pentecostal. So we really believed in earthquakes, whirlwinds, and fires, right? The story we often told about Elijah was the story where he, he called fire down from heaven and he killed the prophets of Baal. We didn't tell this story about Elijah so often. And we sure as never read that passage of scripture that said the, there was a fire and the Lord was not in it. Because we believed in the fire. Um, I shouldn't say this, but I, I work for a Pentecostal institution and, and our mascot is called the fire. <laughs> I've often thought about taking that passage of Scripture from 1 Kings 19 and going around campus and writing it under every reference to fire. <laughs> oh, that, is not, that is not appropriate. That is exactly the smack-talking that I was saying people shouldn't do, right? right? That would be the spirit of Elijah on me. <laughs> there was a fire, but the Lord was not in it. <laughs> And then then it says, now, the the translation I grew up reading said there was a still, small voice. But the translation that we read from today said there was the sound of sheer silence. What is the sound of silence? That's funny, isn't isn't that a great phrase? The sound of sheer silence. And in the sound of silence... God was there. And Elijah covers his face with his mantle and he kind of goes out to the edge of the cave and he's there and he listens. And interestingly enough, he hears exactly the same thing that he heard when he first got there, which was, Elijah, what are you doing here? Like, God had already asked him that. But I guess he was kind of looking in all the wrong places. He was looking in the fire and the whirlwind and the earthquake. But in the the sound of sheer silence, he hears God. You know, silence, one Christian uh, thinker and prayer says, is God's first language. Silence is God's first language. Before there was ever anything to say, right, in the silence, God was love. In the silence, God was there. There's, there's so much, like our life is about hustle and bustle, and, and we do things, and we, we kind of, we wrap ourselves up into that, right? Right? We meet somebody new, we just ask them what they do, and then we relate to them either up because they think, oh, you do that, that's great, I'm not so good, or we relate to them down, oh, you just do that, would you mind getting me something to drink, right? We don't don't treat them like people, we treat them like, I don't know, things. And that's just so unhealthy. We, We wear our busyness like it's a badge of honor. Like, if, if my calendar on my phone is full, then somehow my life must be meaningful. Like, how are you? Well, I'm busy. Right? I'm not a loser. <laughs> well, maybe saying I'm busy is a way of saying I'm imbalanced. I, I lack margin in my life because I don't know how to prioritize what's most important. I don't have space and time for, for people or for myself. Like... When we first meet someone, say we're just at that level of acquaintance, we'll use words, and sometimes we'll use a lot of words, because awkward, or because silence <laughs> is awkward. We all know that that kind of awkward silence that we can experience with someone. Yes, that was a little awkward. You didn't say anything. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Of course you do, right? And so we. We exchange names, and we try our best to remember one another's names. And we don't get much further past that. Uh, like, you know, we might know one thing about them. But then we, we progress from just a mere acquaintance to being a bit more friendly with someone, someone we see on a more regular basis. And, and we get to know a little bit more about them, and so we use more words, right? Now we don't just know what they do, but we know their name, we know where they're from, we know a few of their likes or dislikes, and we share some of their likes or dislikes, and that's what's kind of, kind of gravitated us kind of to the same place or the, the same time, and we kind of share those things. We have the same hobbies. We, we see them at the gym, or they shop at the same grocery store, right? You know, maybe their office is just down the hall, but we, you know, we just see them at the water cooler or at the, you know, coffee break. But if we're ever going to move from kind of just being friendly into friendship, it's going to take quite a few more words because it's going to take the words that are more meaningful, that kind of share our stories, not just our likes and our dislikes, but our hopes and our fears and, and how we um, will really get to know one another. But if that friendship really gets deep, if it gets intimate, and we really have kind of a, a union of our souls together, something shifts in all that. And the necessaryness of, the necessity of so many words kind of decreases. And silence is no longer awkward. Silence is even comfortable. We don't have to uh, fill the time with lots of words because we've already shared the words. And sometimes there are new words to say, and sometimes something new will happen. Um, or even if we, you know, we're sharing our memories that we have together, we'll repeat some old words and retell some old stories. But silence is treasured. It's meaningful. I tell the students at the college all the time that, you know, to lean into silence, particularly in their romantic relationships. Like, if you've, if you've gone over to the, you know, the Gulf and you're gonna watch the sunset, as the sun's going down, don't say something. Your words are not gonna help the situation. It's just gonna ruin the sunset. <laughs> just be quiet. Enjoy the beauty, right? Just let it happen. And, and it's that level of silence that I think happens even in our time with God. So that that same progression of few words, more words, even more words, and then the shift to less words I think happens in our walk with God, too. Like, when we first start, we have no idea what to say, so much so that we're saying prayers that other people say. They're like, repeat after me. Okay, I'll say that. You say this, I'll say that. Right? That's how it gets started. That's about as surfacey as it can get, right? But if we stay with it and we move from, oh, yes, I'm acquainted with God, I've heard of God, to being a bit more friendly with God, then we start to use a few more words. We know some of God's likes, like God likes people, so I should like people. We know some of God's dislikes, right? God dislikes injustice and sin, so I should dislike injustice and sin. But if we ever move from just being friendly with God into actually having some friendship with God, then we start to actually know a lot of words. We're We're familiar with Scripture and God's words, and we know a lot about that story, and God knows a lot about our story. But to really be intimate with God, we we eventually move past having to always say a lot of words, and we're just aware that we're kind of constantly in God's presence. Paul's instructions... Uh, to the church to pray without ceasing doesn't mean that you're constantly speaking either speaking praises or offering petitions or intercessions pray without ceasing doesn't mean incessantly talking right that would be like (laughs) encouraging us to pester God forever I'm imagining God can be pestered but no it's the prayer of, of presence the prayer of silence The prayer of listening, the prayer of companionship, of of intimacy. Like, I know that I am God's and God is mine. And at some point, I don't need words to express that because I trust. I'm loved, right? I am known. I'm His. I'm His creation. I'm His child. I'm his disciple. And it's that, it's that kind of silence, it's that kind of uh, comfortability that I think really should be our aim. And if we're uncomfortable being silent with ourselves, we're likely going to be uncomfortable being silent with God. And if we're uncomfortable of being silent with God, I think... We need to practice it. Like, we need an increased level of intimacy so that, in the same way we can be comfortable being silent around those we're closest to, we can be comfortable being silent with God. There's a, a book that I love. It's called Three Mile An Hour God, which is an interesting phrase, isn't it? Three Mile An Hour God. How fast does God move? According to this author, apparently it's three miles an hour. Now, you might ask, why is, what, what's, what's significant about three miles an hour? And three miles an hour is the typical pace that a person walks. And so he's saying that we know how fast God moves because we know who God is, that God is this person, this Jesus Christ, who walked around Galilee. And he went from, Na- he went from Nazareth to Capernaum or from Capernaum to Bethesda or Bethesda to Magdala or from Magdala back to Capernaum. And he's like, as he's walking around, he's moving at the pace of about three miles an hour. And so that despite our in contrast to the very busyness of our lives, maybe what we need to do is slow down so we can catch up with God. Slow down so we can catch up with God. And I realized there's lots to do and we're professionals and we have our careers But we have to be intentional about this. We have to to practice it. We have to kind of mold it into our daily lives. And I think when we do so, we'll find that we can um, respond to the things that come in our lives as opposed to just reacting to the things that come in our lives, right? So... Somebody cuts us off, and we react, right? And then we, then we have to apologize. Well, I'm sorry I did that. <laughs> um, and, and I think out of a, out of a place of, of a calm, present practice of silence, we can be who we truly are. Like, I'm, I'm not here to be your therapist. I think you actually do need a therapist. You should, you should seek that out. I'm here to be your pastor, but I do want to say this, which your therapist might also say to you. Your emotions and yourself are not identical. You, as a child of God, will experience emotions, but those emotions can come and go. So you might experience anger, right? Uh, You could re-listen to this sermon, or you could probably just watch that Disney film, Inside Out, it was also very good. But you might experience anger, and you might even say, I'm angry. Except you're not angry, right? You're you, right? You need to say, I'm, like I would say, I'm Robbie. (laughs) I'm not angry. I'm Robbie, and at the moment, I'm experiencing some anger. But that anger is not really who I am. It's here in the moment, but it's going to go. It's not going to stay with me. And so I don't want to react out of that emotion. I want to respond out of who I truly am. And I believe who we truly are is, in the deepest part, the relationship with the one who loves us the most and who cares for us the most. We are who we are in Christ. So much so that the Apostle Paul would say, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain, for it's not I who live, but it's Christ who lives within me. Like he's, he's really getting at this idea that our identity, the best part, the truest part of who we are is, is not the bad things that we've done. None of us are reducible to the worst thing we've ever done. And so therefore we should not treat other people based on that either. None of us also are not kind of the essence of ourselves or not the best thing we've ever done for that matter. But we can can experience this life and we can experience others and we can experience our our lives with others, with God, I think, better when we have a practice of silence. Um, Of course, we all know that there's lots of forms of communication. It's not just what we say, but it's how we say it, right? It's the tone of our voice. You know, if you say it with a sense of sarcasm, it, doesn't, it means one thing as opposed to if you say it with a sense of sincerity. I'm not saying we can never use sarcasm, but I am saying it's not the best form of tone for an apology, you know. So in terms of how we communicate. But there's a lot of things that are communicated kind of without words. Um, for example, uh, laughter. Right? I, I, one of my girls loves to tell jokes She's making up her own jokes all the time, and she's constantly asking me, Dad, you want to hear a riddle? Dad, you want to hear a joke? can't tell you how many times a day I hear that. And if she tells a joke and I laugh, it really makes her day. But I, I'm not good at faking a laugh. So if she tells me a joke, it's really funny, and I laugh, that's great. But laughter is a form of communication. If we tell, if we tell somebody something we think is funny, we want them to laugh. Like, we're, that's the response we're looking for. We're not looking for an analysis as to why we think that might be funny. Well, let me tell you why that was funny. It was the play on the words that you had, and it was a particular tone that you had, and that timing was just right on point. The pause, that's what you're really looking for. Like, that's, that's not what we want. So laughter is a, is a non-verbal form of communication. Tears. Tears are a non-formal form of communication. Like if, um, if you give someone a gift and they're so pleased with it that they kind of tear up or you tell them some news and it's good news, we'll say, that, and they tear up or if it's bad news and they tear up. There are things that our tears can say that our words just can't say. Um, and, and we express this in other kind of nonverbal ways. We just sang a song, one of the songs we sang. A lot of these songs were about less words or fewer words, but... And it's not uncommon that our songs do this. Part of the song was oh. Yeah, I, I didn't do it very yeah. well. Oh. Yeah. So, You'll need- yeah. so <laughs> the "O," oh, right, in worship songs, is kind of what I'm talking about. It's 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 in that case, I guess it's verbal, but it's non-linguistic, right? So so laughter,s and tears, and "O's." <laughs> Uh, as Paul would tell the Romans, sometimes we, the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, actually prays in us and groans and in sighs too deep for words. A sigh is practically silence. I don't know if you heard that, but I took it sigh. I have a really good hearing to hear that one. about everybody, everybody, do that. Just. Don't try and do it loudly. Just do it normal. Take in a deep breath and then just let it out. That's a sigh. Do it again. So I'm not saying every time you sigh that that's a prayer. Some people say that. I think that might be a little bit of a stretch. But I tell you this, sometimes when you sigh, it is a prayer. That in your very sighs, that is the Spirit of God in you crying out, to God, the Father, who is the Spirit himself, right? In the name of Jesus, expressing ourselves to God in sighs too deep for words. Again, in my, in my tradition where I grew up in, we also were tongue talkers, right? And what is, what is speaking in tongues? But a, a, a verbal, non-linguistic form of communication. It is, it is not, un, not completely unlike the scat talking of a jazz singer or or the, um, the toast at a at a at a German restaurant or bar. I don't even know your Germans. Tiki tacky, tiki tacky. Yeah, there's like one, one German in the group. <laughs> Two. So you knew that, right? Tiki tacky, tiki tacky. Oi, oi, oi. Um, yeah, you'd have to be in that culture to get it, right? So that's okay that you're not. All right. So, Gesundheit, right? Um, that doesn't just mean bless you. That means the blessings of life on you. It means that your life would be well and full. It's an expression that's used like, after meals, not just when people sneeze. Um, it's, it's, it's almost a German equivalent to Sobremessa, which we practice here. I guess we have, we have more people with Spanish backgrounds than German backgrounds, but that's Okay. But all of this to say, it's not just about who's talking, it's also about who's not talking. And it's about being present in the silence of all that. In fact, we opened our service with a call to worship, and in that call to worship, um, Alex read for us Psalm 46, and in Psalm 46, it talks about, hey, look, God is good, and God is great, and God's going to bring an end to wars. He's going to smash the shields. He's going to break the swords. He's going to burn the spears. And he says in this verse ten, it says this: "Be still and know that I am God." Ricky Cotton, my good friend, friend of a lot of us, um, friend of Oasis, he he encourages this practice. I'm going to try it with you. Um, and then, and then we're going to have, a, we're going to practice a little bit of silence ourselves before our prayers of the people. <clears throat> but I'm going to repeat Psalm 46, verse 10 a few times with just short pauses. And I want you to experience it. And each time I say it, I'm going to say a little less of it until we get to the point that we're at no words. So be still and know that I am God. Be still and know that I am. Be still and know. Be.